Welcome to the podcast that teaches you how to transform your life and your business. Here is your host, Rick Hyland, and this is CI for Life. All right. Welcome to another CI for Life podcast. I'm Rick Hyland. I'm here with my special guest, Neha Nike. How are you, Neha? Did I do it? How did I do on your name? You're perfect. Hey, okay. Rick. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to all the listeners who are tuned in right now. Welcome. Yeah, welcome from beautiful Houston, Texas. Already muggy and hot, but still a great place to be. Yes. Good. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're gonna talk um with Neha today about all things resignation, recession, how that impacts small business, how we, we have to lead differently, hire differently, um, scale differently, and all the things that that means. So I'm excited to get into that. Um, but why don't you start with your background? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I live in Houston, Texas, like Rick mentioned, with my husband and two young kids. And uh, my background's really interesting. I actually was pre-med in college and went to a year of med school and then decided that it wasn't for me and then landed in the lap of HR recruitment, um, just somehow really, and absolutely fell in love with it and um, you know, worked for in-house agencies and for companies um, and then decided to start my own business because I was, one of the companies I worked with was just politically, just not a good culture for me to be in. There was a lot of toxicity and my husband was like, why don't you start your own business? And I was like, that's crazy, right? Like, that's really crazy. But here we are, you know, um, eight years later, I'm a business owner um, and I have about 40 people um, on my team and it's it's been a hell of a ride. Yeah, it sounds like it. Okay. And so what what mostly does your business do? And then we'll get into some of the questions of the day. Tell us about your yes. business. Yes. So um, my recruiting business specifically works with, you know, hiring for small to medium sized businesses and even enterprise level companies. Um, but we also do a lot of consulting if you are looking for help with your org or, you know, org, uh, org chart, your, you know, hiring needs, your planning, hiring manager trainings. And then we also work with candidates specifically and help them place into positions that they want to be placed on. So, um, yeah, we, we do all that. Very good. Yeah. And 40 people. That sounds like a, a flourishing business. Well done. So let's get into some of the issues. One of them I wanted to talk about is, um, you know, this podcast uh, in this this year has been focusing on how to help small business scale. And that's one of the topics you think about and talk about a little bit. So can you talk a little bit about um, your coaching to small business owners that may have some fear in this uncertain times? And um you kind of your pinpoint some ideas on how to scale effectively uh, during 2023. Yep, great question, Rick. So I think the biggest things um, that small business owners worry about, including myself, right, is um, when is the right time to scale? Because a lot of times we kind of get stuck in this limbo of like, okay, this is what the news is saying, this is what my LinkedIn is saying, and I'm hearing of these layoffs and this, you know, looming recession above our heads. And you know, you need to shut that voice out because at the end of the day, you have to have this mentality of abundance and not scarcity, right? And I think as a small business owner, go back to your why, go back to why you started this business and what is the value that you want to deliver to your customers, right? And if you feel like you are not delivering as much value, so if you have a wait list of people that want to work with you or you your current team is really overwhelmed with all the projects that are going on, you definitely need to start hiring and scaling, right? Because 
I feel like a lot of times what happens is, you know, the team's overwhelmed, but then small business owners get really overwhelmed by what the outside world is doing. And then it's like, well, we don't want to hire right now because we don't know. Right. And then you invite more of that into your life. You invite more uncertainty, you invite turnover within your team. So having the outlook of abundance and positivity, you know, it's the key. And I know this sounds, this may sound really cliche or, you know, really mundane, but it really is that it's really switching that switch within your head. It's like, no, I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. I know why I started this business. And I see the impact my business has on other people's lives. And now I need to take the step to really grow it. Yeah. I just had this very conversation with a COO of a $50 million designer apparel company yesterday and same issues, right? And and so how do you balance that between the, you can't put your head in the sand and, and there is a recession going on and there is inflation. We can't ignore that. The government wanted us to ignore that for the first year, but uh, it has had massive impacts on the economy. Yet at the same time, some companies are still going to grow. Not all like in the past, right? Uh, where the tide and the economy took a lot of companies to growth, but some companies still are going to grow if they're excellent in their product or service, yet you can't put your head in the sand and ignore what's going on. How do you balance those two things and still stay optimistic and realistic? I think it really comes down to, again, you know, the the relationship that you have with your clients and your team, right? I think that's kind of the bottom line. And I agree with you, but I also think that some of the, the world's millionaires were created during a time of recession because they were able to quickly adapt and look at, okay, this, and we had to do that too, you know, in my business, like when people started ending their contracts and we're like, okay, how do we pivot? So now we're working with candidates who are looking for jobs instead of with companies are looking to hire. So there's always going to be a way to pivot in that direction, right? And how quickly you pivot um, is really what's going to define if you're able to stay afloat during this time, right? And so I think, yes, definitely like don't go out and make a major investment if you know that things are going to be slower for you in Q2 and Q3. Like you have to kind of take that into mind in terms of planning ahead. But in terms of taking smaller risks and pivots that will ultimately lead you to bigger rewards or keep the company, you know, growing. And it doesn't have to grow by, you know, 20x or 30x, right? But just keeping it growing, keeping, you know, keep getting the clients and making that impact impact and driving that value, it's really what's going to dictate which companies come through out of it and which companies, unfortunately, are left behind. Wow. So many good pieces of nugget there and, and great advice. Thank you for that. It's it's interesting because, as we were saying, some companies will grow, some companies will do well, and it's those that are uh, both listening, watching, and then being flexible and pivoting to the new trends, right? I mean, lots, whether in good times or bad, that's how big companies happen, right? They're looking at the trends, what's coming up, where can you mm-hmm. vertically integrate, where can you horizontally integrate? If one market is shutting down, how can you open up another sector in your product or service, right? That's exactly what you did now to offer it to the uh, uh, um, recruitees as well as the recruiters, right? And bring exactly. it all together. Um, how do you, do you just keep your eye on the landscape and see where the trends are going and see what that can match your skill set of your you and your team is is that how you uh, look at the trends and where things are going 
Yeah. So we actually have, you know, my team's amazing and they're really supportive. And every week we talk about what is coming up, right? Whether it's on, you know, doing research, personal research, group research, but we always have our ears to the ground, so to speak. We always kind of know, okay, this is what's going to happen, right? So we knew like in December that this is something that could happen in Q1 and Q2 of this year, just because we were following, you know, the great economists and what people were saying and, you know, just kind of, the you know, talking even to our clients of like, hey, what are your hiring? goals look like for the next two quarters and so having that personality of curiosity someone that's research driven because mm. i think one of the things rick is that when you're an entrepreneur it's very easy to get siloed in and i'm very much you know I'm talking about myself here i'm not even pointing fingers but we tend to just focus on like operations and profit and paying our teams and you know just taking a step back and our mental health and all the things that we have to do right um and that's not even including the family like that's whole another level right and piece of the pie there um but it's so when you're siloed in it's really hard to kind of get a beat on and pulse of what's out there so really having a team member who is responsible for collecting that or giving yourself like an hour or two block of your week that's all you're going to do is you're going to read the news and it, here's another thing to balance right like you're not going to just sit there and like cry about the news but like okay here's what's happening whether you like it or not here's what's happening so objectively how do you look at that and instead of saying oh my gosh like i'm going to fail as a business owner then say how can i and my business then pivot to kind of match where the trends are going yep. ai for example is something that's people have been really scared of like is it going to take away jobs but you know i feel like if you up level and upskill then you know it's you're just up leveling like no, no jobs are taking being taken away right in that case so it's really on how you take you know what your outlook is on what's happening live um, instead of just being siloed in and some people are like, well, I don't really want to know what's happening, but I'm like, but then you're not going to know how to go and how to pivot and where to go. And that is when you start losing, you know, kind of the essence of what makes the business in the first place. Cause you're here to be innovative, to develop new ideas and to help people. And if you're not keeping a, you know, kind of an eye on what's trending right now, then you're not going to be able to do that. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. This this whole idea, and it's hard for an entrepreneur to do that, or as you say, assign somebody on the team to do it, because you're so busy with fulfillment and marketing and all the good things. But some time has to be spent being curious, doing research, looking at the next trends out there, right? I'm reading mm -hmm. a book right now, um, Lululemon, Chip Wilson, the founder of Lululemon, the, started as a yoga pant, right? And that's mm -hmm. all they did was look at the trends. They were in the snowboarding business. They saw that that was they wanted to do both snowboarding gear and real life everyday gear. And they saw that yoga was a big trend coming up. And so they developed a stretchy pant for women and the rest is kind of, you know, history, but it was all from the owner taking time to do focus groups, research, curiosity, find out what the next trends are, how they can get into those trends and, uh, you know, be the best provider of some of those trends in the niche that you provide. I think it's just a great little story of both innovation, curiosity, and niching out your business and being the very best at serving your client. And you can grow in whatever economy if you have that skill set. So yeah, 100% exactly. agree. Okay, very good. Let's switch over to uh, retention. And even though there is big layoffs going on, retention is still a massive issue, right? Getting the right talent, mm -hmm. keeping the right talent. What advice do you have for a small business in in that battle and getting the right talent when you do need to hire and uh, to retain and motivate? Yes. Yeah, so I think, you know, retention is a really, really hot topic right now because people don't think of retention when they map out their hiring plans. They don't think of retention, uh, you know, through the interview process. And I always say, 
you know, one of our pillars is the first impression systems. And I think you don't close candidates when you close them, you actually close them on the very first call or very first engagement that you have with them. That's really how they know what your culture is, who you are, what type of a company you are, all that, right? And so this conversation of retention has to go all the way back to even how you're constructing your interview process and your hiring process. And if that's solidified, and if that's done in a way where you are transparent and honest, and inclusive, and you are, you know, expecting feedback throughout the process and, you know, engaging with candidates throughout the process and closing them is easy, right? Because they're already sold into your mission, they're bought into your mission, and they align with your values. And so it's really easy to close them, so to speak, right? Now, once they're closed, how do you get this concept of retention going? And I think the key thing is here that you know, um, really figuring out what is important to the candidate, right? What is important to that employee once they're now on your team? And so that's really where the empathy piece comes in. That's where the innovation piece comes in. And that's also the piece of, you know, treating that employee as a human being and not as a number, right? And I think that's something that unfortunately, as the company grows, that's something that's overlooked a lot of times because then you're just like, oh, this this you know business unit team of twenty. Let's just add these benefits, right? But it's like, have you talked to the people there? Have you done anonymous pulse surveys? Have you actually you know found out are people happy working there? Are they interviewing somewhere else, right? So really understanding empathetically what it is that your team and your team of employees are looking for one at a time. And I think that onus lies on, you know, not just the leadership, but also the manager of that employee, right? Taking the time to go above and beyond and help them. Hey, let's look at your career trajectory. Where do you want to be in three years? Like, how can we help you get there? Do you need any additional training to help you get there? Right? Like, is there some coaching that you want to do that the company can maybe pay 50% of, you know, um, looking at your benefits? Like, are you on par with the maternal leave, the paternal leaves, the PTOs, you know, just yesterday, we had a very difficult conversation with the client where they were like, we only do three days of PTO. And I'm like, I'm sorry, like, I can't work with you. That's horrible. Like three days of PTO is not the type of company that I want my candidates to work at. Like, it just tells me right off the bat what your culture looks like, right? And so it's it's stuff like that, right? And, and interestingly, you know, compensation matters, salary matters, because ultimately, that's what puts bread and butter on people's tables and homes. But at the end of the day, I think especially post-COVID, right, people are really looking for the other stuff, you know, the flexibility, the work-life integration, um, you know, the benefits, because they understand that, you know, um, life is too short, one. And two, now that they're so used to that flexibility with COVID, they want to carry that on. And so I'll have people tell me, like, I I will take a 10% salary cut if I get these other benefits, right? Because that is more important to me. The flexibility component is important because I want to attend my daughter's soccer game on Tuesdays at four o'clock. Um, and that stuff matters more. So as you look at retention for your business, Look at all these things. Are you doing poll surveys? Are you having one-on-one -on -one conversations with your team members? Um, are you taking, you know, their opinions um, during all hands-on deck meetings? Right? Are you involving them? Because those are the things that make people stay. I'll tell you a quick funny story. I was on my flight to Rome, and there was a really nice woman sitting next to me, and we were talking. We just kind of started talking, right? What do you do with someone sitting next to us on a plane on a long flight? And she was telling me, like, I know that there's better companies out there that will pay me more, but I'm going to stay here because I love their benefits and I love the leadership. And I think if people can say that about you on a flight or at a bar, then you know you have a good retention rate. And people also, and you will also have a good retention rate if you know you're getting referrals. I think that's another good sign. If other people working for you are referring people in, that's a great sign that your retention rate is strong. 
Yeah, say say more about integrated with I like your list of salary, culture, benefits for the right leadership. You also said something about integrate with your life values or something like that. Say more about that. Yes. Yeah, so I talked about the work work life integration. So, yeah. you know, I, I feel like the work life balance is a little bit of it's a term that's misused a little bit. And so I feel like especially with startups, there's no such thing as work-life balance. Like, you know, going into a startup, like you're going to have to work harder than you probably did at a very established enterprise company. And so work-life integration is this concept of you are not being judged on when you clock in and when you clock out. You are you're being judged on or evaluated on what your milestone delivery looks like and the quality of the, the output based on a deadline. So for example, you know, if somebody like myself sometimes works late at night, that's okay, because I'm still meeting my deadlines at the quality that I'm expected to meet those deadlines at, right? But if you're old school and you're like, no, I need you to clock in at 7.30 and not leave till 4.30, then you're actually evaluating on the person's presence, but not necessarily the output. So work-life integration allows people to work essentially when they feel they're you know optimally ready to work um, and actually give it their all instead of just saying you have to come here at this time and you can't leave. And if you leave, we need a doctor's note, right? Like we don't need leadership like that. We want leadership. People want leadership that trust them, that trust them to not just be a good employee, but also be a good you know, husband or, or father or brother or whatever that looks like. Because, you know, work is only part of the puzzle, right? Like we all have lives. We all have other responsibilities outside of the work. So really evaluating employees on, you know, what they deliver and their output versus like the time, the stringent timelines, I think is going to be the new trend. Yeah, I well, that is well said. Presence versus output. You know, rather mm-hmm. than the clock, let's measure on deliverables and are they delivering versus are we monitoring their 40 or 50 hours a week? Yeah, I love that. And that is so true. And that's not just millennials, that's people like me as well. Like measure me on output, not on hours. Right. right? Uh, that is such an important trend for leaders to wake. So there still is some old school leaders, uh, as you know, as I know. What coaching would you give to them? Like, how how do I make this shift for what people need for both retention and, you know, uh, proper motivation of employees that are staying? Yeah. So I don't know if you've heard this book by Simon Sinek. My husband and I just finished reading it. It's called The Infinite Game. And he talks about the mindset of an infinite leader. Um, So first of all, you know, if you are, if you consider yourself old school, definitely listen to that book because he talks about how to kind of go above that traditional constraint of leadership that society has imposed on us or or our old programming because we saw our parents do it or grandparents do it. And so we're going to carry those trends, but they may not be healthy trends anymore because the society is changing. Right. Um, And so that's the first thing that I would recommend. And secondly, evaluate yourself on why it's so important to you that a person clocks in and clocks out at a certain time versus what they deliver. Is it because, you know, it makes you feel better that they're there in, you know, in person at those times? Like, are you trying to build like camaraderie? Like, what is that? What is about them being there at those times and having it around the presence versus the output that, you know, allows you to feel like, okay, like this is, this is good. My business is going well. Right. And then also evaluate again, your turnover rate. So if you have a high turnover rate and you're like, I don't know what's going on. Why do I have a high turnover rate? Study where your you know employees are leaving you for, which companies are they leaving you for? And then look at their benefits. And I will tell you, it's because they're not as stringent on the presence and they're more, they care more about the outcome. Yeah. To me, this is all about trust as well, is that mm-hmm. I fear as an old school leader that my people won't do the work and that I, I won't, they won't be serving the company well, or I'm, we're not getting our money's worth if I'm the entrepreneur and I've hired 
Um, so you got to manage all those fears, right? Um, so how do you balance? How do how do you get high productivity and still treat them right? Have you got a tool or tip or idea there yeah. on how we do that? I think the biggest thing is, again, looking at your interview process and see if you are talking about the trust factor throughout it, right? Like, asking difficult questions about, hey, are you working at other jobs? Are you consulting somewhere else, right? That's the very first thing. So be honest and be open about these questions. If you really are you know, struggling with trusting other people. The second thing I always recommend, and I've actually worked with CEOs who are like this, and they're like, I don't know if I can trust them to be remote. And I'm like, why don't you give them a test project as part of the interview process, right? And see how they do. And I always like to make these test projects collaborative because it also gives you an insight of how they work well with the team and how they how are they at ownership? Because as a startup, like realistically, no one has time to micromanage. Like you are just doing way too many things. Um, and so or are you going to burn yourself out big time if you're trying to micromanage in, in high growth? Yeah, 100 percent, 100 percent. And so let them do that project, come back to you and you have a collaborative interview and see how well you work together. And that in and of itself, when somebody does a test project, like they're more invested, right? Because now they've spent their energy, their time um, doing this project, but you also taking the time to you know, invite them to do this project shows the candidate that you care about the fact that they're going to be with you long-term or not. Because trust me, like nobody walks into a job saying, okay, I'm only going to be here for two months and I'm out. Like it always is defined. It's predefined. It's defined on how the interview process goes and how well they're treated after they're there. So if your interview process and your hiring process is solid, you shouldn't have any issues with trust because now you've pre-vetted them. And even during the onboarding, having calls about that, like, you know, hey, I am a little, you know, like this has happened to me before where I haven't really trusted people because I've been burned or whatever. Like, how do we make it to where we're both happy and there's a little bit of a give and take? And then once I start trusting you more, I'm fine with you not coming in for five days a week. Right. But how do we get there? How do we work towards that? And honestly, like just asking these simple questions, we're all human. No one's going to be like, OK, I'm done. Bye. Like end the Zoom call. People are very receptive to that, but it's when leadership doesn't ask these questions and then they assume things, that's when the problem starts. Yeah, or when they're not open about their vulnerabilities and their worries, then people assume things, he's a jerk, you know, whatever yes, it be that they dream exactly. up. But, so one of the other thoughts I wanted to test by you, because you know, my counsel to small business or big business, if they have this problem and they want to move from this hour-based culture to the delivery, you have to have good measurements. You have to have good, clear deliverables. I'm going to call it a performance management or business review where people have clear KPIs and deliverables, milestones, and they're held accountable to that in an engaging um, um, way with lots of recognition. But mm -hmm. you know, if you can match that with flexibility and remote work, and really pinpointed specific measurables and KPIs, you've got the best of both worlds, right? Because mm -hmm. if you don't have clear deliverables or they're soft or they're not meaningful to the business, non-meaningful non milestones, oh man, you, and you're letting you know, everybody yeah. remote, that, that is a bad combo. But if you can combine that idea of really clear, measurable, meaningful milestones, KPIs, that people are accountable for and have to report back once a month, whatever the cadence is, combined with flexibility, autonomy, trust. Mm, that's a powerful thing for performance and for retention. Your thoughts on that? I completely agree. And I think, you know, I always talk about data in everything I do. I love data. We have like a billion dashboards probably because I'm just, we're data obsessed, right? In my business. And love so it. 
I feel like data tells a story and unless you have a story, I mean, unless you have data, the story becomes subjective and not objective. And so my goal is when I work with clients, like I'm like, track this, right? Track how long it takes for you, for example, to get this higher. Now we go back and say, was it quick enough? Was it slower? What it, what are other industries doing? Like how long is it taking them? And compare. And then you can look at your ROI for the tools that you use, et cetera. But to answer your question, Rick, because I don't want to you know, kind of go on a tandem about data, I feel like this is where data comes into handy for small businesses, right? Like really evaluating those milestones and why you have those milestones. And this is why you have to start tracking milestone-based data early on in your business, right? This is not something that you can put off later, right? So how long does it take, for example, one person to do this task? What is to be expected for someone coming in? You have to add a little bit of percentage for them to just kind of onboard and level up and all that, right? And so what does that look like? And then using those data points to drive decisions on what those milestone-based deliveries look like for people coming into your business. Because when you tell people like, hey, based on our data and our research, this is what we have seen works. Do you, do you, is that in alignment with you and getting their buy-in like, Hey, you know what? This is reasonable. Or like, Hey, you know what? This is probably a little too much for me. Let's add another week. Right. But when you show them a case by case of data, instead of just making assumptions, you are going to get a better buy-in and you're going to get people to commit because now people are, no, you're not just like, throwing numbers in the air, you're actually like going back to the data and going back to the basics and showing them, right? Like this is objective at this point. I'm not making this up because I want you to feel pressure to deliver at a certain time, but I'm using my data that my business is built to say like, this is what we expect. And when we onboard new um, you know, employees for my team, we use data. We say in the past, we've had you know seven out of the 10 people have completed our onboarding in two weeks. Is this reasonable for you? And we show them a graph and they're like, yeah, yeah, this is reasonable. And we kind of get them to commit instead of us telling them, right? And I think when you do this, you're going to see a complete revolution in the way that people deliver because now people are motivated. Like nobody wants to be like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be the three out of the 10. You know what I mean? Like I want to be the seven out of the 10. So you're going to see that motivation just kick in innately. That is a great example of sharing data and then getting their ownership for the plan. That is a perfect little example. Well, well said, well done. Hey, um, time to brag a little bit. You're on the Forbes Business Council. Tell me what that is and what you do and how that helps small business. Yes. So the Forbes Business Council is a really cool um, group of different members that are small to medium business owners that have contributed in some way, shape or form um, to their business, to just the society. And I'm super honored to be a part of it because it's a really cool place where you can network and share ideas and really grow from each other, right? So as an entrepreneur, one of the things that I really value is this constant need for growth and education and research, which I'm sure you've learned by now. Um, and so when I'm you know, in this room, virtual room of people that value the same thing, it makes it that much harder. I mean, easier, right? Because now you're like, oh, there's other people like me. Like, I'm not the only one struggling with these issues, or I'm not the only one having these questions. And so it's a really cool community where you can talk to each other, where you can ask questions, you can publish, you know, you can um, publish articles that are relevant to other people. And the cool thing about it is it's not like selling, it's actual genuine value-driven conversations, which, you know, are huge. So that's that's something that I'm super proud of and really honored to be a part of. Yeah, well done. I do a, a, some sales growth coaching for entrepreneurs and I'm often asked in my training or coaching, what what's the number one skill set of a great salesperson? And I would say this for any uh, title, by the way, 
And, um, you know, people say relationship building or knowledge about your product or trust making, which that's all great. And absolutely yes to all of those three. But I would say the number one is, and you've reinforced this two or three times now already, is curiosity, the interest to Mm -hmm. learn and grow, right? The growth mindset, like Nelson Mandela's quote uh, that I quote often of, I never lose, I either win or learn. Exactly. So if you're constantly in a learning and rather than getting discouraged over failures, if you have a good relationship with failure and, and learning and mistakes, you're going to be a successful entrepreneur. You're going to be a great salesperson. You're going to, so, and you've touched on this several times, the idea that if you remain curious, remain open, no matter what phase and stage you are at your net worth or your career or whatever, you're going to have, uh, you know, you're going to continue to learn, which has its own benefits. Exactly. And it's going to help your business and those that you influence. So yeah, curiosity and learning and taking time to do that, right? Whether it's through books or podcasts or councils or networks, you know, whatever it is. But any any additional thoughts there for entrepreneurs on learning? I agree. I think, you know, keep learning. And and I always take time to myself. So when I drive carpool for my kids or drop, I have an audiobook that I listen to, you know, plays in the car. And I'm I'm um never I'm listening to Never Split the Difference right now because like learning about sales and the power of no and all those things. Is that Chris Voss or? uh, It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's it's an amazing book. And it's, I always pick a book and I give myself a week to finish it, you know, and, and then it's audio, audio books are great, especially as a working mom who's, you know, I become a mom after five o'clock. And so then there's Taekwondo classes and swim lessons and all that, but there's a lot of driving. So I'm like, okay, let's put this on. And it's cool because my kids, kids are learning indirectly. Right. And so they're kind of listening in. We have conversations about it. Um, But yeah, keep learning. And, you know, one of the things that I always say is that, um, you know, fall in love with failure. Like, I know that sounds really grim, but I feel like people, you literally get out of your comfort zone and you grow, like your energy grows and all that grows, the more you fail. Right. And failure can be something really small. It can be, you know, clients saying no to you, which I think is like, okay, it's just a no, it's not a big deal. Right. But a lot of people get scared. Like, oh my gosh, like, let me reevaluate. Let me, let me redo this. Let me just offer them a 70% discount. Like, don't do that straight, straight, stay true to yourself and fall in love with failure and embrace it. And once you have that mindset of like, oh, I failed, I actually have a ring in my, in my office. If you see it, a little bell. And every time I fail, I ring that bell. Because to oh, me, it's like, oh it. my gosh, like I've, I'm now at this next level and I'm going to continue learning. So we don't just ring the bell when we win. We also ring the bell at our business when we fail. Isn't that great? What a great symbol for that. Usually it's the big bell when you score a big deal. But when we learn from failure, let's ring the bell as well. Or it might signal us to learn from it ra- exactly. rather than get depressed from it. Yeah, I, I uh, in my day planner every day, I write down gratitudes, the wins from yesterday and the learnings. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's just, there's something powerful about not only recognizing it and getting conscious about what you're learning, mistakes you make and what you learn from it, uh, but then writing it down and committing. There's something about continuous improvement that really loves that cycle of asking yourself those important questions rather than getting depressed or discouraged or not trying again, right? Um, Exactly. Because we don't want that, but oh, wow. Excellent advice. Wow. I, I, this um, excellent insights. I can see why your business is growing. You've got some great insights here on retention in 2023 and uh, productivity as well. So where can people find you if they want to hear more? You can find me on LinkedIn. So, um, you know, Neha Dixit.Nike. Um, it's long, but you can find me on LinkedIn. You can also find me on Instagram or Facebook. Okay. And just spell Neha Nike again. 
N-E-H-A-N-A-I-K. Okay. Not Nike, Nike, people. No. You just do it. Go find Neha and uh, learn more from her. Neha, really appreciate your time today and best of luck and best of success in the future. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to the listeners. You bet. Cheers. Bye.